We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. You're trying to run a campaign right now in the world of coronavirus. Oh, yeah. So you can't do the normal rope line and have a hundred people at a rally. And so how do you adjust? Well, and, 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 and we're in a state where a third of the state does not have broadband access. Right? Okay. So one of the things you would think you do, you can do a, a video town hall or you can do some, but in your rural communities that don't have access to broadband you got to go there you got to go there um, what we are what we're thinking about is how can we amp up our game on radio you know getting on gospel stations and, and having call-ins where if you call in the line and you got a few people in the house and we have to just be creative in terms of being able to get to the people Jamie Harrison is a Democrat running for the US Senate in South Carolina challenging the evil Lindsey Graham. It's hard to win as a Democrat in the South, but Harrison is an experienced political figure who studied poli-sci at Yale. So when he stopped off in New York, I had to ask him about who he is and how he plans to run. This is, of course, the Patreon era of Torre Show. We've got two episodes a week for you now, including a Friday Patreon exclusive for our Patreon supporters. For that, go to patreon.com slash Torre Show, patreon.com slash Torre Show. For now, it's senatorial candidate Jamie Harrison on Torre Show. Running against somebody who's 100% name ID in South Carolina, that you have to be in people's faces. Hi, this is my story. This is who I am. Yeah, and it's such a contrast. I mean, for us doing this, we visited some counties that have, uh, I, I'll give you Allendale County, for instance. This is a county that the, the state has taken over their school systems on a number of occasions. Poor African-American county. Uh, it's in the southwestern part of South Carolina, right on the border of Georgia. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, have you seen Lindsey Graham? And one woman said, I've lived in this county my entire life, and I don't think Lindsey Graham has ever visited our county. And, I mean, he hasn't done a town hall in almost three years. Uh, and part of this is Lindsey Graham has never really had opposition. So he's just coasted in every time. Uh, and this time he he now does, and uh, and we're going to every county in the state, and we're taking it to them, and we're talking about the issues that are important to those folks. Well, you're going to get forty percent no matter what, right? 
you got to get 10 more percent. 10 more, that's exactly right? right. And you're running against a long-time incumbent senator. Mm-hmm. People may not have seen him, but everybody knows who he is. 95% name ID. So how do you do it? How do you beat him? Well, part of it is, even though you have a lot of name ID, that doesn't mean people like you. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that's part of the challenge of Lindsey Graham. Part of the challenge, uh, I think, for for him in this contest is that uh, many folks don't feel as though he has been fighting and addressing the issues that they really care about. I'll give you a perfect example. We've had four rural hospitals that have closed over the past few years in South Carolina. Um, and I've gone to many of those communities and I've asked them, and, you know, a rural hospital it, – it, when it closes, it's like ripping a heart out of a community because so much is dependent on having that hospital. And now instead of it taking people 15 minutes to get to the hot hospital, it takes them 25, 35, 45 minutes. doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, right? It, it has no – politics has nothing to do with it. Now it has a real-world impact on the lives of the folks that live in those communities. And I asked him, I said, so has Lindsey Graham been here to address the issue? No. And they're hot. Democrats, Republicans, white, black, they are incensed that nobody's standing up saying this is an issue and we need to address this. And finally, somebody comes in, me, uh, and it gives them hope that maybe things can be better. Maybe things can turn around. And so part of what we are running on in South Carolina, part of how we do this is we take the old coalition that used to get Lindsey Graham elected and we make it our coalition. Uh, but with some modifications. Now, the base of it, Democratic voters, African-American voters, uh, voters who historically for the past decade or so have not turned out at high rates, but it's partly because they haven't had a reason to. Now they do. There's somebody who comes from the communities that, uh, like the ones they live in, understands the hardships and the fears and the pains and the frustrations, and at the same time, the dreams and the aspirations, and can talk about that in a real sense uh, and give them hope. Uh, And they have that now in me. At the same time, I can go into rural white communities uh, and talk about some of the same things. At the same time, I can also sit at the tables with the Boeings and the BMWs and the Ports Authorities of the world and talk about development and how to expand their businesses, how to uh, make them more profitable, and, and at the same time increase um, uh, the, uh, the work standards for their workers. I can do that as well. And so Lindsay has never had a – he hadn't really had a, a steep challenge since he was elected in 2002, but he's never faced a challenger like me. Are you also running against Trump? Because he will be on the ballot when you, you're going to ask folks to – South Carolina is yeah. going to go for Trump. You're asking folks to also well, vote for you. Yeah, so understanding that in South Carolina, Donald Trump got 54 percent of the vote. It means 46 percent of the people did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, I think that is probably a high watermark for the president in South Carolina. He is polling has oscillated between 51 and 53 percent ever since that moment. But what we are going to see in order for us to win, that we have to have historic turnout in the African-American vote. The African-American vote in 2016 was one of the lowest turnouts that we've seen in, in that population in, in well over a decade. 
So we're, we're going to change the demographics of the state of South Carolina with this election. Um, and so we're going to talk about, you know, we, we don't really even talk about Trump much. This is a frame by which I, I run my race. It is, this is not about Democrats versus Republican. It's not about progressive versus conservative. It's about what's right versus wrong. It's wrong for rural hospitals to close. It's wrong for us to have 14 counties in the state of South Carolina where there are no OBGYNs. It's wrong for us, a third of the state, not to have access to broadband. How in the world do we expect our kids to compete with the rest of the world when they can't even connect with the rest of the world? It is wrong for us to drill off of the coast of the state of South Carolina, something that we see Democrats and Republicans alike who agree on. Right. So it, when we look at these issues in that way, we get it outside of the D.C. speak and, and, and the way that folks are looking at it. And we focus on the issues that people really care about. And we talk about it in the manner that they process those issues. You, you do have to get it out of that D.C. speak because the Democratic Party is very unpopular in the South. How did this happen? The lack of infrastructure uh, and the lack of investment from the National Party. When you cede territory to people, then that's what happens, right? If you don't mow your your lawn, what happens? Like wild weeds and all that type of stuff sprout up. It's the same thing. You got to take care uh, of the base and and make it and 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 make it your own. But when you cede that territory, then all kinds of things grow up. Isn't it also about? The Democratic Party saying, first, we're going to care about black voters, and then over time, we're going to show up for gay voters, we're going to show up for women, and white working class Southerners saying, this is in opposition to us, and we're going to stand against you because you are standing against us, which is not the Democratic Party's message, but they have not been sufficiently pro-union for white working class voters to say, ah, that party's for me too. I, I think I think there's some of that there because part of it is, and this is the attraction I think for Donald Trump, it's the what about me? Who's fighting for me? Who's fighting for my family? Who's fighting for my community? And for whatever role in the 16, that Donald Trump played that role. And that's why I tell, uh, you know, I've told folks on the national level that we have to start making sure that folks feel that there's a spot for them in what we are building. And I am building this new South. And it's a new South that is, that is bold, that's inclusive, that's diverse. But there's a spot for anybody that wants to be in there, right? Uh, regardless of your sexuality, regardless of your outlook, who you pray to, you know, who you love, it doesn't matter. There's a spot for everybody. Uh, we want to make sure, I want to make sure that every person in South Carolina, you could be a poor white Southerner on a farm in South Carolina. I want, I, I'm going to fight for you to make sure that you can live the American dream. If you're a, a black kid growing up in a town like Orangeburg, my hometown, I want to make sure that you can live the American dream. Um, but there's some basic things that we need to make sure. Let's make sure you got health care. Let's make sure that your hospital is open. Let's make sure that you can get onto the internet, right? Just some basic fundamentals that you see in any other state, but you know, South Carolina is constantly being left behind, and it's partly because we have representation that has been caught in in last century, and they want to stay in the last century instead of looking at how we can build South Carolina for the the century to come. Um, and that's what I'm going to focus on. Let's tell folks 
who you are, yeah. where you came from. Yeah. What's your What's your life story? So uh, uh, again, Jamie Harrison, uh, running for a sit-in in South Carolina. I uh, grew up in a small town in South Carolina, Orangeburg. It's the home of two historically black colleges and universities, South Carolina State University in Claflin. Uh, and it was at the center of the civil rights effort uh, 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 in South Carolina during, during the 50s and the 60s. Um, my mom was a teenager. She was 16 years old when she had me. Uh, dropped out of high school and uh, to take care of me, and we lived with my grandparents. My grandma uh, had an eighth-grade education. She stopped school to pick cotton, and then she worked in the textile industry, and my grandfather had a fourth-grade education. He stopped school to work at a dairy, um, and then he did construction most of his life until he uh, became diabetic. And so, uh, you know, simple people, not a lot of money, uh, not, not, almost no money, <laughs> uh, not a whole lot of education, but we're rich in terms of the values. Taught me the value of helping other people and just working hard because that's all they knew was how to work hard. And and so it was those values that instilled in me and it, that pushed me along. And so I became the first in my family to go to, uh, to college. I went to Yale University. I uh, graduated from Yale, uh, came back home to South Carolina and taught ninth grade social studies at my alma mater, Orangeburg-Wilkinson, go Bruins. Uh, and then I went to Washington, D.C., where I ran, helped to run a nonprofit that helped low-income kids get into college. Then I uh, went to law school at Georgetown, worked on Capitol Hill for the uh, uh, Mr. Jim Clyburn, the, the, the House Majority Whip. Um, uh, did that for a few years and then private sector. And then I came back to South Carolina in 2012 with my wife and, uh, became the first African-American chair of the South Carolina Democratic Party. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years this year. And you met her at Yale? No, we met at, in DC. My wife is- but she also went to Yale. She went to Yale Law School. She went to Harvard undergrad. She's a few years younger than I am. Right? Yeah. Harvard. No, <laughs> no, no, no. but she is, I, I married up. I mean, uh, listen. Sounds like at yes. Harvard, Yale. Yes, she is. She's You're brilliant. You're just Yale, Georgetown. No. So it's not I mean, the same. Well, listen, she's beautiful. <laughs> she's brilliant. She's a writer. She's an, uh, an artist. Um, she's a academic. And, kids yet? Uh, yes, we have two kids, two old, boys, five, and uh, our little guy turns one next month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Walking yet. Uh, no, but he wants to. Almost. Yeah, almost. It's, it's almost. right around that time. Yeah. So let me jump back. Dad, where's where's dad in the story? Didn't know him? Uh, I, I knew him, but he just wasn't in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my It was probably right around fourth grade. You know, for a while he was, he was present. But then around fourth grade, he just kind of dropped off of the face of the earth. And, um, and so... Uh, and so therefore I've always, you know, throughout life I've had these father figures who've stepped in. My grandfather, uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn. Uh, He's like uh, a second father. Oh, he really is. I, I call him my political dad. I, everything I learned, I, I know about politics, I've learned from him. Um, and uh, the understanding that it's more important to be a workhorse rather than a show horse. Um, and the understanding that this is about public service. It's about helping people. Um, and if you can help the least of these, you help everybody. That is the divide that they say 
uh, separate senators. Some are yeah. show horses yeah. who Amen. show up for the cameras Amen. and want to be seen, and some are workhorses who get legislation through. Yeah, and I'm running against a show horse who loves the camera. He yeah. sure does. Oh my god! I mean, it's it's amazing. You watch the impeachment uh, hearings. He was the first one to run to the cameras, but he didn't. He did not sit in the seat during the impeachment hearing. Half of the hearing, he was outside of the the chamber. Um, but he wanted to talk about it every day. I mean, that's that's what Lindsey Graham is. He he craves the attention. He believes that that is what makes him relevant. For me, what makes me relevant is knowing that you know Grandma Susie has uh, is not taking her blood pre- is taking her blood pressure medicine. Uh, three times a day as prescribed instead of holding back and only taking it once a day, right? Making sure that people have housing, that, that the hospitals in our in our state aren't closing. That's what's relevant to me. But uh, it, it's just amazing to see this guy because he's someone who I actually respected. I had a lot of respect for Lindsey Graham. I didn't agree with him on much. Um, but I thought when John McCain was alive, I thought Lindsey was one of those folks that at the end of the day would do what was what was the in the best interest of the nation to do or in best interest of our state. But what I've come to see is I've been con like so many folks in South Carolina. And we, we thought that we had one person, but it was all neck. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. 
Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. If you love Torre Show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't, then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody-Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a black and progressive perspective. We've known Joe for 20 years, 30 years. What has he done that would earn him the ticket to the cookout, that would earn him 60, 70 percent of black voters? You would think that he had authored a bill on reparations. He wrote the crime bill. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed. All right, back to Torre Show. The man I've been watching, Lindsey Graham, over the past few years, is he soulless? I think so. I, he has no moral compass. None. None. No, no, there's no foundation, no backbone. There, there was a joke that a friend of mine told me uh, when I first said I was going to run in this. And he said, you know, the joke when Lindsey first ran for Congress was that he, uh, he went into a neighborhood, he knocked on a door and he said, hi, I'm Lindsey Graham and I believe everything you believe, right? In essence, he will be, he's a chameleon. He will be and say uh, wh- whatever you need. Right. And that's that's not what we want. That's not what we want. That's not what a leader is. I mean, the person we've seen over the past few years who actually was in the Republican primary, Trump went out of his way to humiliate him, read his phone number from a podium (laughs) to where Graham's phone blew up. I mean, like person like saying really horrendous yes. disgusting things about him personally yeah. and at one point Lindsay was like you know we can't have this man no. running the republican party this is that's insane to becoming one of his most dependable lackeys who will defend him no matter what no matter w- what you and, and and it seems that he's morally bankrupt yeah and uh, it's almost like watching a live version of uh, the invasion of the body snatch you're like <laughs> who is this guy really who is he and and we just don't know and i think that's part of what we're seeing the frustration in south carolina it's because people thought they knew him and they respected him. And so we're starting to get, I, you know, conservatives, uh, Republicans who come to my events and they tell me, I voted for Lindsey a number of times in the past. I will not vote for him this election cycle. How'd you get from nowhere yeah. to Yale? I, I mean, I, I was blessed, man. Uh, I mean, part of it was I've always been interested in learning, right? So, and it really started in comic books. Okay. Which ones? Uh, DC or Marvel? Uh, I am a Marvel. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I love all of them because sure. I love cartoons. I love comic. I mean, even to this day, I still, I still, 
the excuse is I have my son and I can watch cartoons with him and he loves superheroes. And so I tell him, he says, every morning when I get him ready for uh, for school, he says, Daddy, can you tell me about a new superhero that I can uh, uh, yeah, that I can share with my friends? And so I tell him about all the, the things and I have I still have some comic books, though my grandma threw out a lot of them when I was a kid. But I was a slow reader. What were your favorites, your comics? Spider-Man, Avengers were also... uh, I was... There's a picture of me when I was in uh, elementary school. You remember the members-only jackets? Of course. And of course, you know the members-only jackets had that little thing on the the collar? Yep, yep. So I turned my maroon members-only jacket into my cape. That was my cape. And on the playground, I would run around with my members only jacket and I would pretend to be the vision from okay. Avengers because vision was my, by far my favorite. And I know most people like the vision, the vision was my favorite Avengers um, uh, character. And of course I love X-Men as well. And storm was my favorite uh, on, on X-Men. Um, but uh, yeah, I just love comic books and I started reading them because one of my uncles was um, uh, deployed in Germany and he came home once, and you know, usually when you have uh, family in the military, when they come home, they bring gifts for everybody, right? And so he came home, and he brought me this stack of comic books, and uh, I just started reading them. And then it, is, I, it just became so addictive that anytime I got uh, my hand on a dollar, I would walk up to the gas station, and I would go to the gas station, and I'd buy a comic book, I'd buy um, some Dunkin' Sticks. And a pack of now and laters. Now and laters. Yes, and, and that was my that was my little ritual. And uh, uh, but you know, so I, I started reading and and uh, and I just loved school. And I loved history. Um, and my grandfather and I would watch the news, the evening news, together every night. Because one, uh, we had one. Who'd TV. you watch? Which one? Uh, we would watch uh, uh, CBS with Dan Rather. Dan Rather. Yes. Um, uh, now in the morning we would watch, um, uh, God, what's the, the today show? Brian Gumble. Brian Gumble. Yep. And, and so we would get up early. We would watch that, uh, because you weren't going to, my grandfather, when he got home, he wanted to watch the news right? and you weren't going to change, change the channel. So you had nothing. If you were not watch TV, you were watch the news. Well, when we were growing up, that 6.30 national news was an institution. It was an institution. News was not free-flowing all day long. You had to be there, at least for the A block of the 6.30, to really know what was going on. That's exactly right. And and so so I would just sit there, and I would hear about all the presidents, and I I would ask my grandfather questions. And, you know, in retrospect now— my grandfather was probably just making up all kinds of stuff, to <laughs> but but I took it as gospel, and and so then I would go to school and I would want to learn more about it, and I remember probably the first political memory I have is Jesse Jackson at the 1988 convention. Mm-hmm. Um, keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. And and this is the thing. Jesse's from South Carolina. Yes, he is. You know, grew up single parent household, and and I just. I was just mesmerized by it. And uh, and then I remember the other, uh, then my first campaign that I got involved in was in 92. I was in maybe a sophomore in high school. Uh, and I was a volunteer for the Clinton-Gore campaign and worked on voter registration, worked the, the booth at the fair. Uh, and that's when I met Congressman Clyburn. And, um, and then, you know, Clyburn got elected in 92 as well. So first African-American uh, since Reconstruction, uh, to 
be elected in South Carolina. And when I was a junior, I invited Congressman Clyburn. I, he got elected to Congress. I got elected as president of the National Honor Society. Okay. And so I wrote him and asked him to come and install me as president of the National Honor Society. And he actually came. He actually came. services. Yes. And so, we've had a lifelong friendship. So you sense. said he's your political father. He, he really is. is. Uh, a a massive figure in yeah. South Carolina politics, and you now s- it seems like a you know based on this primary kingmaker. And, yeah. Well, what has he taught you? What are some of the core things that he's taught you about politics? Well, you know, the one thing, and and, and it sort of reinforce things I already knew, but it's about how you treat other people, and 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 you know, I remember one of my first memories um, with with Congressman Clyburn after joining a staff. Uh, he had one of his legendary, world-famous fav- Jim Clyburn fish fries. And, you know, all of staff were there. We're cleaning up afterwards. You know, people are there. They eat the fried fish and they drink and they do the electric slide and all this other stuff. And then, you know, it's the cleanup time and the staff's there cleaning up. And we're kicking the tables down and the chairs. And I look over over to my right and I see somebody sweeping. And I look again and it's Congressman Clyburn. And I said, boss, what are you doing over there cleaning up? He said, Jamie. I will never ask you all to do something that I won't do myself, right? And that stuck with me. Uh, and and this, the way that Congressman Clyburn would treat, uh, you know, the the custodial staff, the uh, the security staff on, on the Hill, uh, he would treat them the same manner that he would treat Nancy Pelosi, who was Speaker of the House. And 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 my grandma always, my grandparents always taught me about that too. Right? And she'd say the people you see on your way up are same people you see on your way down, and, and you want to make sure you treat them the treat them right. Uh, and so, but Congressman Clyburn helped to reinforce that, and actually to illustrate that for me in terms of of of, of being such a tremendous role model. And it's always been focused on the the people in South Carolina. That has been his focus. What about I'm, what else? I'm sure. I mean, you you studied political science. Yeah. I, he's probably a professor of political science. I mean, what else has he taught you that has that you've really been able to take to heart to take into this campaign? Yeah, you know, one of the things for Clyburn, it's about getting the people's work done, right? So I remember situations in which he would write legislation, but because we were in Republican control, whatever. You got some people like, that's my bill. I don't, I don't want anybody else to. But he would write a bill in legislation and then give it to his Republican colleagues to get it through. Because for him, in the end of the day, it was about how it impacts the people. Not about how he can take credit for it, but how it impacts the people. It's about making. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive. 
T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Progress when you can make progress. And he, and he had a very pragmatic approach to it, but it also d- just demonstrated that it wasn't about him. It's about the people that you represent. Uh, and that's the approach that we take on our campaign all the time. It is not about Jamie. This is not a campaign about getting Jamie there or having Jamie's name in the in headlines. It's about the people of South Carolina. How can we improve the lives of those folks who desperately need a helping hand? Jim Clyburn, as a congressman, has a much smaller uh, area that he's got to count, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure he can go shake hands with almost everybody in that area, right? You, you cannot shake hands with every single no. person in South Carolina. I'm going to try. So what or you, do the elbow bump right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is Clyburn's advice in terms of vote counting, yes. in terms of in, building in a there. constituency? Well, one, the first thing is, you know, one of the things he says is like, Jamie, you have to, people want to be asked for their vote. And so you, you have to make, you have to make that ask. You can't assume because many times you look at somebody and you assume, oh, that person's Republican. They're they're not going to vote for me. Well, you never know. And Barack Obama was really good at being clear about that. Like, I want, want your, your vote. That's exact. And so every time we go someplace, I tell folks that. I want your vote. I need your vote. And in addition, I have homework assignment for you. I need you to help me go get more votes, right? And that's really, really important because sometimes it's the relation. You have to understand that the fuel of politics it's relationships, right? That is that is the glue. That's the thing that keeps everything together, but that's also the thing that motivates and moves everything. And so understanding that the power to persuade people is sometimes not even mine, but, you know, you talk to a leader in one of these communities that's a church leader. You talk to somebody that is over a Boy Scout or Girl Scout troops, or, or, or you talk to a, a teacher or a coach, uh, and they have so much clout in there, and and I think we see that in the in the uh, the Jim Clyburn endorsement of Joe Biden, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When in the end of the day, people were like, "Well, I don't." There, so many people in South Carolina were so undecided, and it wasn't until that moment the exit polls said forty seven percent of the people who voted that day said it was Jim Clyburn's endorsement that helped him to become from move from undecided to decided to support. Uh, to support Joe Biden. And that shows you the power of validators. That shows you the power of relationships because people trust Jim Clyburn. And so therefore, if Jim Clyburn is making this decision, then I am going to make a decision based off of my trust of, of Jim Clyburn. And that's why we go into these communities and we meet community leaders and we meet activists on the ground because we understand that they have a power, they have influence, they, uh, they're respected in, in, in the areas that they are. Um, and, and for us to get to where we need to be, we need to have their support as well. 
Thanks so much to Jamie for an awesome interview. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Jerry Michael Smith, Marcus Harkis, Noel, and Sam Montez. Join us over at patreon.com slash show for more of my interview with Jamie. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Please support us by subscribing on Patreon. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garofano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday and Friday with more amazing people because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.